Chapter 3, Reframing Leadership Humanity will not arrive at a future marked by a common good worldview by accident, nor can we afford to wait for the slow turning wheels of social evolution to carry us there. We need to move toward a common good worldview soon, given the problems we currently face. The earth cannot long survive ecological mistreatment due to the use of toxins. The threat of dirty bombs falling into the hands of terrorists makes any place on the planet vulnerable to a horrific act of hatred. The poor of the world, tired of getting the short end of the stick, are becoming increasingly impatient for social justice. Our predicament demands the urgent intervention of leadership for the common good. Leadership is the ability to inspire a group to move freely with clarity and purpose in a new direction. Leadership can shake us out of our propensity for sleepwalking and challenge us to look at the difficult truths of the day. Leadership can also encourage us to believe that the important action required for change is possible. Effective leadership is grounded in experience with the goal the group is moving toward. In some cases, a leader's experience is direct. A friend of mine who leads climbs up Mount Rainier in Washington knows the terrain well. And because his presence radiates this fact, people trust him to lead them up the mountain. In other cases, a leader's experience may be indirect, such as having researched the information, such as having researched the information associated with a goal. In still other cases, a leader's experience may derive from an intuition or vision of how to reach the goal. In all these cases, the leader has a glimpse of what others cannot yet see. A leader's primary qualification for helping humanity move toward a future characterized by a common good worldview is experience in the moral territory of the third circle. Just as a pilot cannot fly a plane unless he is in the cockpit, it is not possible to further the common good without having a third circle perspective. Leadership based on the third circle orientation provides the moral framework that makes leadership for the common good possible. In third circle leadership, a conscious concern for the good of all is added to principled leadership, resulting in a powerful moral force capable of advancing change for the common good. Incorporating the best of existing leadership models. Leadership for the common good, which is intended to advance change, draws on the best of the three basic types of leadership discussed since the 1980s, transformational leadership and transforming leadership, which offer two distinct approaches to social change, and transactional leadership, which provides the managerial know-how to affect change. Transformational leadership recognizes that systems and structures of society are constructs, not fixed entities, and the new times require new systems and structures. Because most current systems and structures are byproducts of the us-them worldview, which the common good worldview is meant to replace, transformational leadership with its commitment to foundational change, lies at the heart of leadership for the common good. Transformational leaders ask such questions as, are the programs, practices, and policies of this organization in the third circle? If not, what must change for the organization to be there? Transforming leadership, on the other hand, seeks to transform not institutions and systems directly, but rather the hearts and minds of those who created and now maintain and benefit from them. Transforming leaders want to improve the behavior of individuals to reflect increased moral maturity and motivation.
As the hearts and minds of individuals are changed, the institutions in which they live and work also change. Transforming leadership is operating when a leader encourages people to ask themselves the question, am I in the third circle? Transformational and transforming leadership are most effective when applied together. Transforming leadership without a transformational agenda results in inspired people, but no social change. For example, the Green Movement has inspired people nationwide to sort trash and recycle. In my travels around the country, however, I find that many airports and communities have not yet created systems to funnel that inspiration into action. On the other hand, acts of transformational leadership may change the system, but if the hearts and minds of those who participate in the new system are not also changed, injustice will appear again in a new form. For example, the Emancipation Proclamation, signed into law in 1862, was not enough to change the hearts and minds of Americans regarding racism. Thus, despite the law, the black experience in America remains a long history of oppression that has taken new forms from generation to generation. From the KKK and Jim Crow laws to racial profiling and other forms of institutionalized bias. When the strategies of transformational and transforming leadership are used in tandem, they work like rocket fuel, providing the propulsion necessary to overcome resistance to the status quo. To overcome resistance of the status quo and advance far-reaching change for the common good. Here they are aided by the managerial wisdom of transactional leadership. Transactional leadership is focused on the exchange between a leader and her followers and on keeping organizational wheels running smoothly. This gets things done. Managing functional details, however, often leads to an investment in preserving the status quo, even at the risk of losing sight of larger moral questions at hand. As a result, it is possible to be a high-performing transactional leader within an unjust, immoral system. For instance, during the Nazi regime, transactional matters were handled effectively. The trains ran on time, the gas chambers were managed with precision. But horror resulted. Yet, since change occurs more effectively when the details are managed well, transactional leadership is often of great value when it supports a noble goal. An example of these three types of leadership working together is the anti-smoking movement in the United States. Marketing campaigns publicizing the dangers of smoking use transforming leadership strategies to change the hearts and minds of the public. Once the public will for change was ignited, transformational leadership strategies brought about federal laws establishing smoke-free standards in workplaces, public spaces, and even restaurants and bars. Transactional leadership techniques kept this movement organized, allowing for steady progress despite the tobacco industry's extensive lobbying efforts to halt the change. The Four Cornerstones of Leadership for the Common Good When the third circle orientation is brought to bear upon the best of these three types of leadership, leadership aligns with its highest purpose, to lead us into a future in which every corner of the earth is a place where life can prosper. Leadership aligned with its highest purpose and focused on the common good is based on four foundational principles or cornerstones. 
This marriage of purpose and foundational principles equips leadership to address the most difficult challenges of the day to advance the common good. Three of the four cornerstones are basic principles of the third circle, care, justice, and inclusiveness. The fourth, moral urgency, reflects the ethical obligation to eliminate suffering as quickly as possible, anytime and anywhere it occurs. Care, the practice of stewardship. The first cornerstone of leadership for the common good is care. Within the third circle, care becomes a concern for all life and the systems that support it. When influenced by care, leadership takes on the characteristics of stewardship. A steward is someone who cares for a household, assets, or other resources owned by someone else, often in the owner's absence, out of a sense of duty and commitment to care. When leadership is cast as stewardship of the common good, then two questions arise. Who is the owner? And how extensive is the household? The question of ownership can be answered either philosophically or theologically. From a philosophical standpoint, the owner is all people, including those not yet born. From this point of view, stewardship means attending to the legacy our generation leaves behind for the children of the future. Similarly, the great law of the Iroquois Confederacy urges those living today to consider the impact of their choices on the next seven generations. It is in this spirit that stewards plant shade trees under which they will never sit, dig wells from which others will drink, light fires that will warm strangers they may never meet. From a theological point of view, the owner is spirit, and stewards act in accord with the intentions of spirit, guided by divine qualities such as love, generosity, and compassion. The household that such stewards for the common good care for is both local and global. In this respect, stewardship for the common good means safeguarding the earth and advocating for the inalienable rights of people everywhere. This includes caring about the destruction of rainforests in Brazil, nuclear accidents in Chernobyl, Russia, and northeastern Japan, nuclear accidents in Chernobyl, Russia, and northeastern Japan, and air pollution in China because such crises affect the life-giving system that support us all, regardless of the national borders. Yet, stewardship for the common good also focuses on local concerns. Albeit in a global context, as leaders exercise care for resources and people in their own corners of the world, including in neighborhoods, institutions, and corporations. Yet stewardship for the common good also focuses on local concerns, albeit in a global context. As leaders exercise care for resources and people in their own corners of the world, including in neighborhoods, institutions, and corporations. Leadership as stewardship can be modeled and learned as evidenced in the story of Jim David, a friend of mine. Jim's reputation for stewardship in the corporate sector. Jim's reputation for stewardship in the corporate sector has its origins in his first week as an employee at a major corporation in Seattle. While attending a training course in California, he heard the news that his father, back in Seattle, had suddenly been hospitalized and was deathly ill. His instincts kicked in, and he flew home that evening without taking time to alert his new boss, who was at the training with him. Early the next morning, 
while Jim was at home preparing to see his father, Jim's new boss, who had also flown home the previous evening, paid him a visit. Jim began to excuse his behavior when his boss said, Jim, I heard about your father's illness and tried to get here as soon as I could. Is there anything the company can do? We're prepared to fly your father to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, or do whatever is necessary to get him the best care possible. We value family, and I am here to let you know that the company stands behind you. For now, do whatever you need to for your family. Your job at the company is secure. Later that week, at his father's funeral, Jim was profoundly touched to see every manager from the Seattle office in attendance. He was stunned by the care the company's core leadership team expressed and never forgot it. Subsequently, he became known in the corporate world for demonstrating leadership according to the same principle of care and has inspired many others to lead this way as well. A steward of the common good acts in the present to take care of the current needs of people and resources, yet is also committed to acting on behalf of future generations, just as the steward of fortune is paid to see that the fortune grows through the years. A remarkable story of stewardship of a preferred future comes from New College, Oxford. In the 1950s, the College Council learned that the 500-year-old oak beams in the ceiling of the dining hall had become infested with beetles and needed replacing. A young faculty member suggested that the college dean meet with the local forester who took the dean for a walk in the woods, pointed to a grove of oaks, and said, There are the timbers you will need for the hall. When oak trees were harvested for new college, the architect assumed they would last 500 years. So he directed the forester at the time to plant a grove of 100 oak saplings. Since that day, 20 generations of foresters have tended these trees. Stewardship for the common good does not necessarily require thinking ahead 500 years, but it does mean looking beyond ourselves and our own generation to become caregivers on behalf of people we will never meet and a future we will never see. Justice, the exercise of equality and equity. The second cornerstone of leadership for the common good is justice. Justice involves the creation of laws, policies, systems, and institutions that operate for the common good in practical ways. Justice is, in a large part, care crystallized in social constructs. Justice care is the motivator of justice. Fundamental to the concept of justice is the notion of equality. In Francis Bellamy's words, Justice for all. Bellamy wrote the Pledge of Allegiance at the end of the 19th century, after the Emancipation Proclamation had passed and just as the women's suffrage movement was gaining strength. Being a progressive theologian, he very likely thought of women and blacks as he wrote the word all. In the hundred years since then, the meaning of all has been expanded through other social agendas, such as the Person with Disabilities Act and the 26th Amendment to the Constitution, which gave 18-year-olds the right to vote. Today, despite such social progress, many people still fall outside the realm in which justice operates in the United States. Injustice lingers as long as existing systems and structures continue to foster privilege for some and deprivation for others. As Martin Luther King Jr. pointed out in his letter from a Birmingham jail, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. 
Injustice not only hurts the least fortunate and most vulnerable, it also undermines the moral character of the privileged who are aware of it, yet do nothing about it. Until justice is truly available to all, I suggest that Bellamy's phrase, justice for all, be amended to include the phrase, and an additional measure of mercy for the least fortunate and most vulnerable. A society's greatness is determined not by how well its elite fare, but by the degree of compassion extended to those who by chance of birth or circumstances have insufficient resources to live a decent life. Thus, one of the essential tasks of leadership for the common good is attending to the inequities in any given situation and transforming the related systems and structures, policies and institutions so they reflect social justice. For this reason, the path to justice for all is not always by way of equality alone. Consider, for example, the distribution of restrooms at a theater. As men and women head for the restrooms at intermission, the lines to the women's restrooms are always much longer. When designing the building, the architects, no doubt thinking of equality, plan four restrooms for men and four for women. But this does not address the real needs of the people involved. To offer genuine equality, the theater owners would need to convert perhaps two of the men's restrooms to serve the needs of women. Similarly, public schools in the United States were integrated in an effort to offer equal opportunities to all students. Yet academic achievement and graduation rates among African Americans and Hispanics remain significantly lower than among their white counterparts. Although the children and their families are partially responsible, Many institutional biases in the school systems undermine the success of minority youth. In such circumstances, something more than equality is needed. Equity, which expands the work of justice beyond equality by transforming systems and structures to support true justice, levels the unequal playing field of many societal situations. We expect umpires to interpret the rules fairly for both sports teams competing in a game. And when they don't, fans protest. What if the umpire and even the playing field have a built-in bias for the home team? That is, what if the game is rigged? Equity makes the game fair by creating structural and behavioral changes that level the playing field. At first, changes are likely to feel unfair to members of the home team, who are used to the game as they have known it. Equity often appears in the eyes of the privileged as unfair. For example, they wonder why academic coaches should be hired by school districts to mentor promising students in inner-city schools and be paid for by their tax dollars. Once the playing field is level, fairness and equality alone will serve to maintain the common good. But until then, equity is needed to assure justice. An example of the value of social equity agendas is the United States law known as Title IX enacted in 1972, which state, No person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded from participation in, be denied benefits of, or be subject to discrimination under any educational program or activity receiving federal assistance. The net result of this act on justice has been profound. In 1972, only 7% of law degrees and 9% of medical degrees were earned by women. 
By 2007, these percentages increased to 47 and 43, respectively. In the same period, the picture of college athletics changed just as dramatically. A total of 3,715 women's athletics teams were added to the intercollegiate sports scene, and the number of women athletes grew from 32,000 to 165,000. Besides being principled, equity is also prudent. Those who are disadvantaged will not be content forever, and discontent breeds destructive behavior, ultimately affecting the advantaged as well. Although they may not be conscious of this potential, I am reminded of a political cartoon depicting people on a large boat. Those at one end of the boat, dressed in tuxedos and gowns, are drinking champagne and enjoying good food, while those on the other end are dressed in old clothes and look sad. And one young man with a gun is shooting holes in the boat's bottom, causing water to seep in. The caption, a remark by one of the men on the opulent side, reads, Will you look at that fool shooting holes in his end of the boat? Considering our common life as one human family, the unfair distribution of resources, leaving some of our sisters and brothers vulnerable, can impact us all. Today, despite the inspiring words of the Pledge of Allegiance, children born in poverty, women, and minorities of all kinds still remain disadvantaged in the United States. Globally, the people of Darfur, Chad, Myanmar, and other undeveloped countries still struggle for daily bread, while many of us in developed nations enjoy daily luxuries like lattes, movies, and golf. Our current work is to commit to leveling the global playing field level through courageous laws, institutions, and policies that provide equity and justice, inclusiveness, bringing all into the circle. The third cornerstone of leadership for the common good is inclusiveness which extends the leader's concern for the effects of his choices beyond clan and kin to everyone influenced by those choices. It means making sure that all people in a given family, neighborhood, institution, or other community have equitable access to power, privileges, and resources in the system, and thus can flourish. Inclusiveness can also entail attention to the well-being of non-human communities, such as other species, as well as to the environment, the water, air, earth, within the leader's scope of concern. An example of an organization whose leadership puts inclusiveness front and center is Medicans Sans Frontieres, MSF, known in the United States and Canada as Doctors Without Borders, founded in France by journalists and doctors in 1971 and committed to the idea that no one should be denied medical attention this global humanitarian organization provides assistance, especially in places around the world where people's survival is threatened by war, epidemics, or natural disasters. Also advocating for the just administration of aid systems and medical protocols in such situations. Its website states, MSF's work is based on the humanitarian principles of medical ethics and impartiality. The organization is committed to bringing quality medical care to people caught in crisis regardless of race, religion, or political affiliation. This third cornerstone of leadership for the common good may require an extra measure of attention compared with the others. We know when our choices are principled or unprincipled, when they reflect care or justice, and when they do not, as our moral sensibilities give us this information. 
but shifting our orientation from our own needs or groups conventions to concern for all calls for a willingness to question our conscious and unconscious biases or prejudices, to consider a wide range of perspectives and make choices that benefit all who are affected by them, it can be helpful to reflect on the following questions. In what way might my definition of all be limited? Who tends to receive favored treatment in my community? Who experiences exclusion? whether obvious or subtle, from the benefits and social networks of my community. Inclusiveness also means incorporating multiple viewpoints in the decision-making process. To reach a solution beneficial for the common good, it is important that representatives of various interest groups, including opposition parties, provide information about their needs and views. This means listening to people with minority points of view, trusting that each offers a unique perspective capable of enriching the change process. Although this means of developing multicultural competence can seem daunting at the outset, it yields worthwhile results. We can never know who might offer the key idea that unlocks the door to a solution. Leaders for the common good who seek social change can anticipate resistance. Some people may dismiss a leader's vision as unrealistic while others may endlessly debate issues, delaying actions that might lead to change, or oppose change and champion the status quo due to fear of the unknown. A principled response to resistance is to invite the resistance to join. In his poem, Outwitted, Edwin Markham makes this point beautifully. He drew a circle that shut me out. Heretic, rebel, a thing to flout. But love and I had the wit to win. We drew a circle that took him in. Such radical inclusiveness poses the greatest risk because it means welcoming those who could do harm to the change process. Yet diverse people finding a way forward together also offers the greatest transformation potential for everyone involved. Handled with graciousness and courage, such an expression of inclusiveness creates a challenging but powerful context for change. In this regard, leadership for the common good is consonant with the spirit of nonviolence. The nonviolent approach is to confront injustice by inviting its perpetrators to become transformed through an encounter with love-seeking justice. This is why we see so many leaders who have worked to advance the common good turning to the principles of nonviolence. Moral urgency, the importance of when, the fourth cornerstone of leadership for the common good is moral urgency, a response to the need for timely change. At present, we don't have the luxury of taking baby steps towards new common good worldview. Martin Luther King Jr.'s words spoken in 1967 are still relevant today. We are confronted with the fierce urgency of now. In this unfolding conundrum of life and history, there is such a thing as being too late. Every change-producing strategy is a blend of methodology and timing, of how and when change will occur. Of the two, making the plan is usually easier than taking action. For this reason, focusing unduly on how a change will happen can become a delay tactic. To make sure a change occurs, a leader needs to stay focused on when it can occur. 
Large, complex social problems can be solved more quickly than we think when moral urgency becomes the catalyst for change. For example, in 1993, when Patris Ananias became mayor of Belo Horizonte, the fourth largest city in Brazil, he was outraged by the level of hunger suffered by the poor. His sense of moral urgency helped him quickly reduce hunger. In his first month as mayor, he called on his staff and other community leaders to act with exigency on behalf of the hungry, declaring that from that time forward, access to food in his city would be a right of citizenship. The long-term result of his declaration is that the child mortality and malnutrition rates, considered measures of hunger in a population, have since decreased by 60% and 75%, respectively. Having a deadline especially when people's lives are at stake, can also hasten solutions to problems by stimulating increased creativity. For instance, the scientists and engineers who brought the crew of Apollo 13 safely back to Earth operated with a strong passion and unusual innovation because the two leaders, James A. Lovell Jr., commander of Apollo 13, and Gene Kranz, NASA flight director, focused the entire team's attention on solving a key problem in a short time frame with limited resources. The ground engineers had 36 hours to improvise a repair to the air filtration system using only the supplies the astronauts had on hand. Lovell later wrote, the contraption wasn't very handsome, but it worked. A call for leaders for the common good. The shift necessary to move from today's us-them worldview to the common good worldview will require the efforts of leaders in all sectors of society. Not only, are all, not only are all welcome as leaders for the common good, but the moral urgency to improve world conditions means that all are needed, including national and international positional leaders. One stellar example of such a leader continues to be Anwar Sadat, president of Egypt from 1970 to 1981. In a speech to the Egyptian parliament in 1977, Sadat affirmed his desire to go to the Israeli Knesset to negotiate peace for the Israelis. Sadat's speech there initiated a new momentum for peace that culminated in the 1978 Camp David Accords and a peace treaty between Egypt and Israel in 1979. Other positional leaders for the common good work at the regional or city level of government or in institutions, corporations, or other organizations. An example of such leadership at this level is the Champlain Initiative, a regional organization in Chittenden County, Vermont. Founded in 1996 and sustained by the leadership of four women, Martha Maxim, Penrose Jackson, Gretchen Morse, and Beth Kuhn, the initiative draws people from all sectors to work together for the physical, spiritual, economic, social, and cultural vitality of the region. Positional leaders for the common good often receive recognition for what they do, while other citizens tend to defer to them. Assuming that a leader for the common good is better known or more powerfully positioned than they are, they wait for a Gandhi, a Martin Luther King Jr., or a Rachel Carson. But in fact, anyone can decide to take principled action that benefits everyone involved. Becoming what I call an everyday leader for the common good. Perhaps the quintessential example of an everyday leader for the common good is Rosa Parks, the black seamstress who on her way home one December evening 
in 1955, her arms full of groceries, refused to get up from her seat on a Montgomery, Alabama bus so a white man could sit. Her arrest sparked the Montgomery bus boycott and launched the civil rights movement. Rosa Parks was no stranger to political activism, having served in the state and local NAACP chapters for over 10 years and having attended a two-week training program at Miles Horton's Highlander Folk School designed to empower grassroots leaders to work for racial equality. But even given her background, it would not have been possible to predict that she would catalyze such social change. Everyday leadership for the common good does not require the kind of training Rosa Parks had. A single principled act by anyone holds the potential for creating a ripple effect of significant change. For example, it was a custodian at the Watergate Hotel, Frank Wills, who one day in June 1972 discovered tape on the door of the Democratic headquarters office, recorded the break-in in the security log, and called the police, performing his job with such attention and integrity and ultimately to the resignation of President Nixon. Similarly, the actions of a housewife from Northern Ireland, Betty Williams, precipitated the longest cessation of violence known in that part of the world. In August of 1976, after witnessing the death of innocent bystanders during the ongoing Catholic-Protestant conflict in the streets of Belfast, Ireland, she went door to door, imploring her neighbors to help stop the violence. Remarkably, her efforts were met with great enthusiasm, particularly by Myrid Corrigan, the aunt of children who had been killed. The two women led the campaign for peace in Northern Ireland that eventually involved tens of thousands of people and were awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1977. Anywhere, anytime, there are opportunities for ordinary citizens to engage in leadership for the common good. Any mother could ask, what can I do at my daughter's school today that will improve the educational experience for all of the children? Any school child can decide to inspire his peers to donate their nickels, dimes, and quarters over the course of a year to fund the digging of a well in Africa. And when ordinary people participate in endeavors for the common good, it can not only change them personally, but also bring change in their corner of the world. Those who have volunteered to help fill sandbags to stop a river from flooding a town, or contributed foodstuffs to a food drive, or been part of a cleanup team at a park, know firsthand how such experiences can be personally rewarding and also build community. The sense among participants that all people are of one family and have common interests and goals. It's not possible to prejudge how large or small an individual's contribution might be to the shift to a common good worldview. The key is to conduct our lives according to a third circle orientation. When we commit ourselves to third circle living, we may be surprised at where it will take us and what changes we can catalyze and whether we become a positional leader or not, whether our actions become well-known or not, we'll be happier people as a result of fostering the common good in our corner of the world. Part two, the seven common good leadership practices. If the question, am I in the third circle, provides the leader with a compass, the seven common good leadership practices are the leader's roadmap. 
as the outer circle of the leadership model suggests. The common good is the goal. We get there by engaging the seven common good leadership practices arranged within the circle. These seven practices can be done separately, but they also build on each other when performed progressively in clockwise order around the model. Strengthening a leader's capacity to advance the common good. The three V's, values, vision, and voice, found where the corners of the triangle touch the circle, represent internal capacity building, which helps leaders become clear about their identity and vocation. The three arcs in the middle house three concepts that describe external elements which leaders are responsible for either engaging or co-creating. These external elements help establish the setting and climate within which progress for the common good is pursued. Courage is at the center of the model, since it both fuels and draws from the other six practices. Courage invigorates the entire process of leadership for the common good, making it a powerful means of social transformation.